Good morning, everyone. It's good to be with you today on uh, Blessing of the Backpacks, or what we call Back to School Sunday. I know at least Orange County goes back to, t- goes back to school tomorrow. Ooh, I know. Um, I, I, I want to speak today, particularly with the middle schoolers and high schoolers who are here in mind, but uh, the gospel is good news for everybody, so really this is for everybody. Um, if you noticed our Old Testament passage, and you might want to take out your bulletin and look at it, it's the one from 1 Kings chapter 19, um, what you will see is a man named Elijah who is a prophet who is very exhausted. And um, the, the, the verses that we read today actually don't give us the context for why he is exhausted, but the reason is this. He is on the run because he is a prophet, and so prophets um, of God speak words of truth that make people very uncomfortable, and so they are very unpopular, especially with wicked people. Now, there was a very wicked king and queen named Ahab and Jezebel. You know, anytime you hear the word Jezebel, like nobody names their kid Jezebel, right? Because you know that's associated. I'm sorry if your name's Jezebel. Um, because it's associated with, with wickedness, right? Um, and so he has made them mad and they have put out a hit on him. Okay? He is on their list. And so they have message, they have, uh, servants who are pursuing him to take his life. And Elijah has been doing nothing but the work of the Lord for years and years and years, living as a holy man, and he's at the point of a breakdown, where he can't take any more because everything he has done seems to have just simply culminated in people coming after him to take his life. And so, the writer of 1 Kings tells us this, it says, He went a day's journey, okay, we're talking early in the morning to the end of the day, into the wilderness, and he came and sat down under a solitary broom tree, and he asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life. It is what you middle schoolers and high schoolers say every Friday afternoon when you go home with a lot of homework. Now, look what happens next. He falls asleep. He lays down under the broom tree and he falls asleep simply just wanting to get a nap and then die. And suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, get up and eat. And he looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate, and he drank, and he lay down again. He eats, and suddenly he falls back asleep. It's like that middle-of-the-night snack that you go down to get, and you don't even know why you're eating it. It's like a piece of cake, and then you just crash again. This is what happens. But then here's what happens next. The angel, the messenger of the Lord, wakes him up again. Get up. And Elijah's got to be thinking, dude, come on, I'm on the run from Queen Psycho Jezebel who wants to kill me. I just want to take a nap and die. What do you want? And the angel says, get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. And he got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Horeb, the Mount of God. You see, God breaks into Elijah's reality in a moment of desperation and nourishes him. It's a picture of the good news of grace. Now, I want to talk to you about the difference between advice and news. Imagine what would have happened if the messenger of the Lord would have come to Elijah and given him advice. Okay, get up, because here's what you have to do. You need to go 30 miles northeast, and then you need to cut across here. You need to avoid, because they've got spies in the cave over there, and then you need to go another 10 miles north. His head would have exploded. 
He was already at the end of himself. But God looks at Elijah, who's at the end of himself, desperate. And he doesn't give him directions or advice. He doesn't give him more stuff to do. He sets a meal before him. He says, eat, or else you won't have enough strength. That's grace. Now, at your age, in middle school and high school, you are probably suffocating in advice, right? You need to start looking at colleges and get ready to go off to university. You need to study this way for the GRE. If you want her to go to prom with you, you're going to need to get some new sneakers, mister. Or if you want to keep up with your friends on social media, you're going to need to go get that new iPhone that levitates and shoots lasers and does your homework for you. Okay? Advice, advice, advice. But what happens is that you get into a cycle of doing, doing, doing busyness. And you know what happens? I was reading an article the other day online. And what happens when we accomplish a goal or a task is we get a little hit of dopamine in our brains. You know what dopamine is? It's a feel-good chemical. And so what happens for people who are constantly on the go, busy, 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 doing, 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 following advice, following advice, is you get addicted to it. You get addicted to busyness. And here's what this tells me about your situation. You don't need more advice. You need news. Now, a lot of you know this, but the word gospel in Greek, euangelion, it means good news. Right? The gospel means good news. It means that something has been done. It's not advice. It means that something has been done and is being proclaimed, namely, that Jesus died so that sinners and wanderers could come home to their heavenly father. Now, every other spiritual path, every other worldview, every other religion gives you advice and it says, do this and you will be enlightened. Do this and you will be successful. Do this and you will be saved. Do this, 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 and you will be good with God. And Christianity says you can't be good with God on your own. It's a proclamation of grace. God sent his son to do the work that we couldn't do. You see, Christianity, it's good news. It's liberating. Advice is burdensome and good news is liberating. Jesus died to be the Lord of your life so you no longer have to be. Now, this is how Charles Wesley, he wrote a lot of hymns back in the 18th century. Just listen to, you might think, oh, hymns are boring. Well, listen to the beautiful poetry of one of these uh, verses from one of his hymns. He says this about his conversion to the gospel. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin in nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose went forth and followed thee. You see, the gospel sets us free from our chains. Now, you have most likely, and probably most of you in this room at some point, whether by your parents or grandparents or somebody else that you knew, you had the gospel presented to you as advice, strong advice. You need to wake up and get your butt in church, church Missy, and you need to clean up your act, right? You need to do this, this, and this to get right before God, Right? And I want to say, I'm sorry that you heard the gospel presented to you to, that way. And I want to tell you today that the gospel is not more advice for you. It is good news. It's good news for you. And I want to give you three uh, really basic reasons why it's good news for you. The first one is this. The gospel saves you from saving yourself. The gospel saves you from saving yourself. Like Elijah, you just have to admit that you're desperate. 
Okay, you're just desperate for grace. If you're saying to yourself, young people, if you're saying to yourself, well, I've done this church stuff and I don't know about praying because I'd have to clean up before I do this God stuff. I got to stop smoking and I got to stop watching the stuff on my phone and I've got to stop swearing all the time when I'm around my friend. You're never going to be able to experience grace if you think about the gospel like that. Because you're too focused on your own advice to yourself. You see, the gospel is not for self-confident people who want to be their own saviors. The Bible says, the Bible says in the New Testament that we can't actually achieve that relationship with God ourselves. St. Paul writes this to a a group of uh, Christians in the ancient world. He says, remember, he says, it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, through trust. This is not of your own doing so that no one may boast. Okay, the gospel puts everybody on the same level. Nobody gets to boast about their relationship with God. Now, there's no advice that will get you there. Cleaning ourselves up won't bring us into a relationship with Jesus. We need to admit our desperation. Jesus, I'm lost. I'm disoriented. And I've got some terrible habits and I don't know what to do. And that's when God says, aha, now they get it. And he swoops in to embrace you with grace. The second reason is this. The the second reason the gospel is good news is this. It satisfies our deepest desires. The gospel satisfies our deepest desires. As a teenager, you become more aware, not just of physical desires for like things and food and things like that. You become aware of what I would call soul desires. The desire for worth, for fulfillment, for joy. You want to feel connected to the world in a meaningful way. You have a desire for that. You ask questions like, what is the purpose of my life? What will give me meaning? How will I find lasting satisfaction? And there's so many different ways that young people today try to satisfy these hungers for satisfaction. The society around you tells you to try to find satisfaction um, by uh, becoming successful in what you do in life or the possessions that you have access to, right? I tried with drugs and alcohol. Okay, and some of you, some of you maybe have done that too. And I, let me tell you a brief story. I can remember, um, being hungry and having hunger, hungry and being hungry and thirsty for, for life and joy. And I tried to find any drugs and alcohol. And so I'd go to parties and I remember waking up one morning in the back seat of my car in a friend's driveway. The sun had risen hours ago. My feet were hanging out the side of the car seat. It was open. My battery was dead. I embarrassingly had to call a family member to come pick me up. My head was pounding from uh, a hangover. And I thought, my soul feels hungrier and thirstier than it did when I first arrived at this party. And for years, I tried to satisfy my deep desires with junk that left me empty, hungry, and thirsty. Now, think about that for a minute and listen again to what you heard Jesus say in the gospel reading uh, just a few minutes ago. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. See, Jesus knows those deep desires that you are experiencing. In fact, he put them there. Now, have you ever been driving in a car and you got a little bit turned around? You're trying to find like an airport or a hospital. And then you saw a sign and it said, airport this way. And you thought, yes, I can get there. I can get there on time, right? That's what these desires that you find in your heart for worth and meaning and transcendence are. They're signposts to the God who loves you and wants to fulfill those desires. 
They're signposts to Jesus, and only he can meet those deep needs. There was a guy in the 4th century named Augustine. He's a big deal in Christianity, writing in the 300s, and he had a very um, dramatic conversion to, to Jesus. And he wrote this. He wrote a really long, a long a book's worth of prayers. And one of his prayers, he says this. It's really famous for Christians. He said, O Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. So here's a question. For you, are you paying attention to the deepest desires of your heart and where they are pointing you? The third thing is this. This is why the gospel is good news for you is because it gives you your true identity. It gives you your true identity. As you move towards adulthood, um, the big question is not so much what will I be when I grow up, but who will I be? Who am I? What is my identity? And our society has a narrative for this. And it goes like this. Be whoever you want to be. Follow your heart. Look inward for the truth about who you are. Act on your inclinations. Don't let anyone get in the way of who you want to be. There's a problem with that. Because that narrative will actually turn you into an incredibly selfish person. It says that you are the center of your life. And the results of that selfishness will really lead to unhappiness and depression and hostility towards other people who get in the way of your self-realization. I speak from experience because I lived that life for so long. Now, the world says, follow your heart. And listen, I want to read you what the Bible says about the human heart apart from God, okay? Brace yourself. Um, It says this, the prophet Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? (laughs) Whoo! See, if you follow your heart apart from God, it does not lead to a good place. It does not lead to a Disney movie happy ending. You see, what the Bible says is that the gospel, when someone comes to call on Jesus as Lord and, and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, God gives you a new heart. Because what you need is not a medication to fix a heart problem. You need heart surgery. We all do. And the gospel is heart surgery. God comes in and he takes our heart of stone that has been hardened towards him. And he gives us a new heart of flesh. A soft heart that is able to receive him. Hear his voice. And live a changed life. You see, the gospel gives you a different approach to identity. To discovering your identity. Um, St. Paul, again, he wrote lots of the New Testament. That's why I quote him so much. But he wrote um, to this church in an ancient uh, city called Galatia. And he said this. He said, um, he's talking about what it's like to have an identity in Jesus. And he said, I have been crucified with Christ. And I no longer live. But Jesus Christ now lives in me. And the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. That's an identity that can't be shaken. You see, here's what he means by that. He says, that old you that was always looking out for number one and could never find lasting satisfaction is now gone. The old you is old news. And the new you is the you who finds your life in Jesus, united to him, letting him live his life through you. And that's the paradox of the good news of grace. 
it says that you have to lose yourself to find yourself. You have to lose yourself to find yourself. This is what Jesus said to a crowd once, and they probably didn't like it. He said, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever would lose their life for my sake will find it. You see, following Jesus is costly because you have to say no to the old self that wants to live for me. This is a, here's what Jesus means by that, losing your life. He says, if you live for yourself, if you continue on that trajectory, you won't actually be living. Don't fool yourself. But if you turn your life over to me and say, lead me, I'm yours, you'll find the fullest life you could imagine because I'll come to indwell you and help you to love others and serve others and live a life that's not you-centered but is God-centered and other-centered. Having Jesus in your life is like driving a car. This is for everybody. I want everybody to hear this. Having Jesus in your life is like driving a car. And so the question is, for everybody, is is he in your car? And uh, maybe you're here today and you actually absolutely know that he's not. Or maybe he's in your trunk. And when you get to church on Sunday morning at 9.55, you let him out and you say, all right, look, behave yourself. But you're going back in there right afterwards because I'm going to hang out with my friends. Or is he in the back seat? Because you like the idea of having him close when you need to call on him for something. But you don't want him in the driver's seat because that would be uncomfortable. Oh, Jesus, don't turn there. Ah, don't go into that neighborhood. Do not want to forgive her. Do not want to make friends with the nerdy kid that nobody likes because then I'll just be called a nerd. I do not want to give up this habit because it will be uncomfortable. You see, there's only one place that Jesus can be if he's in the car at all, and it's in the driver's seat. And, and some of you here today need to put him back in the driver's seat. You need to take him out of the trunk. You need to take him out of the back seat. And you need to say, Lord, I need you to take over again. He's waiting for you to make that invitation to him. Remember what Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. There's two things there. Um, whoever comes to me, that's to follow him and say, I want you to be Lord of my life. I'm handing my house keys over to you, Jesus. And to believe in me means you believe, you entrust yourself to him, believing that he died so that you could be made right with your heavenly father. We're going to sing a song in just a minute, um, and the, it starts off like this. It says, he became sin who knew no sin so that we might become his righteousness. That's from right from 2 Corinthians in the Bible. And what it means is this, is that the one who lived a pure and perfect, unspotted life took all of your sin, and believe you me, speaking from personal experience, there's a lot of it. He took all of it on the cross, and he bore the punishment for it. So that you could share in his righteous life and be called righteous by your heavenly father. That you could be right with him. Nobody, and I say this to my church all the time, nobody in this life loves you that much. So here's the thing. I don't want anybody to have to leave here today not knowing where they are with their heavenly father. I don't want you to know. Maybe you just are unsure or maybe you know 
you're not walking in relationship with him, whatever it is, here's what I want you to do. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything like that. When you, when you come up for communion today, and everybody's welcome to come up, if you um, haven't been baptized, um, you just cross your arms like this, and I'll come by and give you a blessing. And when I do that, receive Christ into your heart by faith. Just say something to yourself like, Risen Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant or something like that or, or, or earlier in life and you've wandered away and you've put Jesus in the back seat of the trunk. And so receive communion again and, and say, Lord, I want you to take control again. I want you to be Lord. Forgive me for wandering. I don't want anybody to have to walk away not knowing the Heavenly Father who gave everything because he loved you. Let me end, end with these words from St. Paul. He said this. If you're wondering what God's position is towards you, he said this. God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we uh, stand here, all of us in need of your grace. And uh, some of us maybe having wandered from the fold. Maybe some of us haven't yet tasted to see that you are good. And so I ask that uh, by the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, because it's only by your Holy Spirit that anybody comes to you because just as you said in the gospel that we heard today, nobody comes to you unless the Father draws them. And so speak to our hearts today, Lord, and draw us to Jesus, each and every one of us, that his name would be glorified and that our lives would be changed from this time forth forevermore. Amen.